Chapter Fifteen of Brigands of the Moon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amy Graymore. Brigands of the Moon by Ray Cummings. Chapter Fifteen. A moment when, beyond the thought of the nearby brigand or the possibility of an eavesdropping ray trained now upon my cubby, a moment while Anita and I held each other and whispered those things which could mean nothing to the world but which were all the world to us. Then it was she whose wits brought us back from the shining fairyland of our love into the sinister reality of the planetara. Greg, if they are listening! I pushed her away, this brave little masquerader. Not for my life or for all the lives on the ship would I consciously have endangered her. But Grantline's findings, I said aloud, and this message, see here, Prince. Coniston was too far away on the deck to hear us. Anita went to my door again and waved at him reassuringly. I put my ear to the door, opening and listened at the space across the grid of the ventilator over my bunk. The hum of a vibration would have been audible at those two points, but there was nothing. "'It's all right,' I whispered, and she clung to me, so small beside me. With the black robe thrown aside, it seemed that I could not miss the curves of her woman's figure. A dangerous game she was playing. Her hair had been cut short to the base of her neck, in the fashion of her dead brother. Her eyelashes had been clipped. The line of her brows altered. And now, in the light of my tube, as it shone upon her earnest face, I could remark other changes. Glutz, the little beauty specialist, was in this secret. With plastic skill, he had altered the set of her jaw, but masculinity here. She was whispering, It was, was poor George, whom Miko shot. I had now the true version of what had occurred. Miko had been forcing his wooing upon Anita. George Prince was a weakling, whose only good quality was his love for his sister. Some years ago he had fallen into evil ways, been arrested, and then been discharged from his position with the Federated Corporation. He had taken up with evil companions in Greater New York, mostly Martians, and Miko had met him. His technical knowledge, his training with the Federated Corporation, made him valuable to Miko's enterprise, and so Prince had joined the brigands. Of all this Anita had been unaware. She had never liked Miko, feared him, but it seemed that the Martian had some hold upon her brother, which puzzled and frightened Anita. Then Miko had fallen in love with her. George had not liked it, and that night on the Planetara, Miko had come and knocked upon Anita's door, and incautiously she had opened it. He forced himself in, and when she repulsed him, struggled with him, George had been awakened. She was whispering to me now. My room was dark. We were all three struggling. George was holding me. The shot came, and I screamed and Miko had fled, not knowing whom his shot had hit in the darkness. And when George died, Captain Carter wanted me to impersonate him. We planned it with Dr. Frank, to try and learn what Miko and the others were doing, because I didn't know that poor George had fallen into such evil ways. She whispered, But I love you, Greg. I want to be the first to say it. I love you. I love you. We had the sanity to try and plan. Anita, tell Miko we discussed the multiple powers of the catalyst discussed how carefully it would have to be transported, how to gauge its worth. You'll have to be careful, clever. Don't say too much. Tell him we estimate the value at about a hundred and thirty millions. I repeated what Miko had told me of his plans. She knew all that. And Snap knew it. She had a few moments alone with Snap, and gave me now a message from him. We'll pull out of this, Greg. With Snap she had worked out a plan. There were Snap and I, and Shack and Dud Ardley, upon whom we could doubtless depend, and Dr. Frank. Against us were Miko and his sister, and Coniston and Han. Of course, there were members of the crew, 
but we were numerically the stronger when it came to true leadership. Unarmed and guarded now, but if we could break loose, recapture the ship. I sat listening to Anita's eager whispers. It seemed feasible. Miko did not altogether trust George Prince. Anita was now unarmed. But I can make opportunity. I can get one of their ray cylinders in an invisible cloak equipment. That cloak that had been hidden in Miko's room when Carter searched for it in A-20 was now in the chart room by Johnson's body. It had been repaired now. Anita thought she could get possession of it. We worked out the details of the plan. Anita would arm herself and come and release me. Together, with a paralyzing ray, we would creep about the ship, overcome these brigands one by one. There were so few of the leaders. With them felled and with us in control of the turret in the radio room, we could force the crew to stay at their posts. There were, Anita said, no navigators among Miko's crew. They would not dare oppose us. But it should be done at once, Anita. In a few hours we will be at the asteroid. Yes, I will go now and try to get the weapons. Where is Snap? Still in the radio room. One of the crew guards him. Coniston was roaming the ship. He was still loitering on the deck, watching my door. Han was in the turret. The morning watch of the crew were at their posts in the hull corridors. The stewards were preparing a morning meal. There were nine members of subordinates altogether, Anita had calculated. Six of them were in Miko's pay. The other three, our own men, who had not been killed in the fighting, had joined the brigands. And Dr. Frank, Anita... He was in the lounge. All the passengers were herded there, with Miko and Moa alternating on the guard. "'I will arrange it with Venza,' Anita whispered softly. "'She will tell the others. Dr. Frank knows about it. He thinks it can be done.' The possibility of it swept me anew. The brigands were of necessity scattered singly about the ship. One by one, creeping under cover of an invisible cloak, I could fell them, and replace them without alarming others. My thoughts leaped to it. We would strike down the guard in the radio room. Release Snap. At the turret we could assail Han and replace him with Snap. Constance's voice outside broke in upon us. Prince. He was coming forward. Anita stood in the doorway. I have the figures, Coniston. By God, this Haljan is with us, and clever. We think it will total a hundred and thirty millions. What a stake. She whispered. Greg, dear, I'll be back soon. We can do it. Be ready. Anita, be careful of yourself. If they should suspect you... I'll be careful. In an hour, Greg, or less, I'll come back. All right, Coniston, where is Miko? I want to see him. Stay where you are, Haljan. In good time, Miko will trust you with your liberty. You'll be rich like all of us. Never fear. She swaggered out upon the deck, waved at the brigand, and banged my cubby door in my face. I sat upon my bunk waiting. Would she come back? Would she be successful? End of chapter 15